Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There were several times during the filming of the show Jury Duty when my guest on this week's show was worried the jig was up. But this was the moment his heart really sank. I knew this was going to happen. I actually called out specifically what was going to happen. Plaintiff was going to make a closing statement. Something crazy was going to happen. We adjourned for the day. Here we are. How are you that psychic? Because this happens every day, Barb. (laughs) There has not been a single day that we've had that's just been smooth. There's always something crazy that comes up. (laughs) This literally feels like reality TV. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Ronald Gladden pretty early into his three-week journey as the one real person surrounded by actors in one of my favorite shows so far this year, Jury Duty. And in this week's episode, we go deep on how they pulled off what has to be the longest con in TV history with the show's director, Jake Szymanski. Jake is a veteran of Funny or Die and Saturday Night Live, but neither of those gigs could really have prepared him for the challenge of what was essentially a real-life version of The Truman Show with lots of jokes on Jury Duty, which premiered back in April on Amazon Freebie and, in my opinion, should be in the conversation for Best Comedy Series at this year's Emmys. Jury Duty is not the easiest show to explain if you haven't had the pleasure of watching it yet, so I began my conversation with Jake by asking him to help describe what makes it so unique. We also get into how they went about casting the man who thought he was participating in a documentary about jury duty, how actor James Marsden ended up playing a very exaggerated version of himself on the show, the story behind that insane Margaritaville episode, and more. So let's get into it. Here's me with jury duty director Jake Szymanski. Well, Jake, I'm so excited to have you here because I have to tell you that Jury Duty is easily one of the funniest shows I've seen in a long time, and I watch quite a bit of TV for my job. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's just a it's it's a thrill to have you here to talk about it because it's the kind of show that you watch and you really want to know more about how it was made and and what went into it. Um, I would say it's also a show where the premise is a little hard to explain. I would compare it to other shows that I've had to try to explain to people, like. The rehearsal or uh, Paul T. Goldman um, shows that kind of bend a little bit of reality and, and fiction. So, how do you describe it? When, which I'm sure you've had to do many times at this point. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you're not wrong. It's uh, there's a lot of ways you can go about this. I've heard of it as uh, the rehearsal meets Ted Lasso, which uh, made me <laughs> oh, chuckle. I, I haven't heard that one yet. That's funny. Yeah, on the internet, they're they're putting some good comparisons out there. Um, but, you know, I think the way we talked about it internally early on was, what if you were making a show like The Office, but Jim wasn't an actor and didn't know it was a TV <laughs> show? Uh, as kind of like the premise, right? So we're, we're part courtroom drama comedy. We're part uh, 
reality experiment. Uh, and, and hopefully we're all kind of fun while you watch it. Yeah. And you actually have, it, it comes from people who worked on the office, which makes a lot of sense when you realize that, because there is sort of a, an office like dynamic of all these different characters who are sort of quirky in different ways. And you get to know them over the course of, of the season, much in the way I feel like we did on the office. Um, mm-hmm. so did that, was that a big influence just in the, even in the tone of it, even though it's, it's not a scripted show in the same way that the office was well it's certainly what um made it different in our minds as far as you know there have been certain um quote-unquote hidden camera shows reality shows and there have been people mixing that form of reality uh in kind of interesting ways with with narrative and doing other things with it like the joe schmo show back in the day where it was a fake reality show or the rehearsal etc so for us, it was kind of like, well, what if we have a real person, right, who doesn't know this is a show, but we're trying to do the form of kind of uh, a classic comedy documentary show, right, like the Parks and Rec, like The Offices, at which people are really familiar with that form, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that was kind of our biggest twist on it was like, are we allowed to mix a reality with that form where you still kind of care about the other characters, even though you know they're actors, because you're seeing them play out their storylines, like this live play in front of a real person and seeing how he's going to interact. Yeah. And you cast all these very, uh, you know, funny improv comedians um, and they kind of have to be not very well known. Right. Because um, you have Ronald at the center who has to believe that they're real people. Um so how did you how did you think about that? Because, of course, I'm watching it thinking, yeah, I kind of recognize that one guy from Sex Lives of uh, College Girls and, uh, you know, and, and someone else from Reservation Dogs. And so, I, you know, but I think that might just be me. Uh, but but you have to make sure that they're not too recognizable to someone like like Ronald. Right. Yeah. And it's twofold. I think, you know, one, the part that a lot of people forget is we're looking for someone that hopefully won't recognize a lot of people from TV, right? So so even if someone has had a small role in a show, hopefully we're looking for someone like Ronald who doesn't watch a lot of TV, right? But yeah, it the other end of that is it was a really tough casting process and it was a really tough job for um our casting director Susie Ferris who did an amazing job of uh of showing us just a ton of people and I'm so proud of our cast and I really hope I'm like, oh, I hope everyone watches the show and they all get a ton of work off of this because they really did something that kind of hadn't been done before in the way we we did it. And they're so funny. That was the thing. They had to be so funny. They had to be incredible at improv. We had to trust that they would never break in a way that would ruin the show. And they had to be so good and yet not had blown up yet in something (laughs) where everyone would recognize them. And we couldn't make them all. 22 year olds who might be easier to find people who are really good, but haven't blown up yet because we had to make a jury that's supposed to be representative of your community, right? Jury of your peers. So it was a really um, small needle to thread there, but I'm really, really proud of the group we put together Yeah. because by the way, beyond all that, they also all had to be kind of nice people who I trusted to be in there and in the spirit of the show we were doing because they were the ones interacting with Ronald every day. Yeah. I mean, talk about a great opportunity for an actor who hasn't blown up yet to get the chance to do this. Like you don't always, you don't often get a job that is, that 
could only go to someone who is not famous. Usually you're competing against people who are more, usually when you're casting a show, you're trying to sort of get the biggest names you can. Well, and by the way, it it was even trickier nowadays because it was not only not famous in the traditional sense, um, but it was, you know, we saw a lot of people and be like, oh, they had been in a national TV campaign for com- a commercial for the last yeah, year. Yeah, so you might even just that's, kind of that's know that you recognize them, but not know from what or yes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or, or nowadays, there's also a lot of really funny creators who have really big um, online presences or had videos that have gone viral. And that became a danger too. We could we saw some great actors and actresses that you go like, oh man, they have like a lot of videos with millions of views that just went viral on social <laughs> media. And that's harder to check if someone has seen or not. Like TV shows, you can get, kind of get a sense for what Ronald watched, what he didn't. But the idea that like, oh, hey, has anyone ever just shown you this video on their phone because they thought it was funny? That was a whole other danger zone that uh, we had to be thinking. Of. Yeah. And of course, you know, the casting process of all the characters is is one thing, but the casting of Ronald, the real person at the center of the story, it really all depends on finding the right person for that role, right? I mean, I, I can't even imagine how much work and conversation and thought went into that. What was that like? We had an incredible producer, Alexis San Pietro, who kind of comes from that world and had worked in the Sasha Baron Cohen world uh, on some of those projects. And she has an amazing talent for finding the right type of people that we're looking for. This this was new to her, what we were looking for, someone to kind of be our moral compass. Um, but we still have to find someone that, you know, again, isn't uh, that you trust not to be up on social media and TV all the time, willing to put up with our long, boring questions and days and stuff like that. So she put her feelers out and I think she had, you know, 3,000, uh, give or take, uh, people respond to this initial ad she put out in different places. And then <clears throat> she, based on what they responded with and told her about themselves, narrowed it down. You know, she had interviews with uh, almost 100 people and then she narrowed it down to kind of like her top 50 to kind of go deep on. And um her, she just had a really good gut instinct about like, Hey I, guys, I think like, I'm going to show you these 25 as like the top people I think, but here's my top 10. Like, I, I think there's something special with these guys. And then we all, all the other producers and, you know, showrunner and the, the, me, the other producers, uh, we all then watched those people and kind of had a big discussion about who do we go with here. And you're just watching interviews that she tapes with those people. Yep. We're watching interviews. Um, they, I think Ronald both submitted a video about himself at first to say why he'd like to do it and a little about himself. And then I think he had two or three um, interviews with our producer uh, where she asked him a lot about himself. And um, uh, and when we got down to the very end, when we had a small group of people we were deciding between, we even, uh, I think everyone did a um, like a little evaluation with a psychologist as well because we wanted to make sure since we were doing this experiment that kind of hadn't been done this way before that we weren't picking someone that, you know, couldn't handle it. We didn't think so. We were trying to, you know, cover a lot of bases here. Do you remember why he wanted to do this? What made him, you know, want to be part of what he thought was a documentary about jury duty? I think it was a, a, it speaks to his nature is he's just like a curious guy kind of up for an adventure, up for a new thing. You know, I think that's a really good quality for people to have in general, just to kind of be open, right, to the world. Um, and we found him at the right time where he was just switching jobs and he had 
saved up a bit of money and he was planning on taking a couple months off. And then he saw this opportunity right in his window and he kind of said, oh, this is something I've never done before and I might not have the opportunity to do again. So I'll sign up for it. And how did you you know, personally know that he was the right guy or what was it about him that made you think this is the direction that we want to go? Well, it's everything you see in the show about him. You know, you could kind of see it peeking through in his interviews and you go, this guy seems great. But I will say, um, I think we'd all be lying a little bit if we said we knew for sure. We really hoped and thought this was the right guy, but we, you know, we, we did this for so long. We, we kind of built this world around him for three weeks. After the first couple of days, you really don't know what someone's going to do. You know, as much as you can kind of look into them and interview them, Three weeks is a long time. And I will say that um, we we hoped and thought Ronald would be great for this, but he was even better than we thought he was. He kept pleasantly surprising us throughout. So I want to talk more about the you know actual shooting and production. But the one other piece of casting that I think we have to talk about is the James Marsden piece, because you know he is the, Big piece the, of the, the celebrity <laughs> that you put in the center of this. Was it was that always the plan that you wanted to include one you know name celebrity on the jury? We always wanted to include one celebrity. Uh, that was kind of part of the DNA of the show from the beginning. Um, we didn't know who would be up for it, basically. And um, we really hoped James would be. <laughs> yeah, he was always the top of the list. Yeah, we talked to him basically right away. As soon as you know the show got picked up and I got brought on and Cody Heller, our showrunner, got brought on and we started putting a writer's room together. And once we knew we were going to keep the celebrity aspect, um, we uh, James was kind of right up there. I had worked with him before in a um, mockumentary called Tour de Pharmacy. He came by and, and, and did a bit in that. And um, one of our producers, Dave Bernad, he produced that with me. And, and he's worked with James a lot as well. So Dave, you know, kind of initially said, like, I think we could talk to James for this. And I was really excited about that because James has just been in so much stuff and he's so recognizable. Um, uh, but he's also not Tom Cruise, you know what I mean? So it's kind of a perfect, um, celebrity factor that we needed. But the thing that got me most excited was, uh, I just knew James could be really funny. You know, I, I can't, I came up in the world, uh, working, uh, with, uh, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. And I remember I was around when they were making Anchorman 2 and, uh, Marsden is in that being really funny. And, um, that was kind of everyone whispering like, you know, James Marsden, he's really funny. He can like really hang in comedy. Um, and um, so I, I kind of knew, I, I was like, maybe a not every, the audience doesn't know how funny he can be, but I, I kind of knew he could from that and from Tour de Pharmacy. And, um, but he again, like Ronald, even far exceeded our expectations because he's so good playing this Hollywoody version of himself, but he just knocks it out of the park being in the situation, quick on his feet, doing the improv, hitting our story beats. He was just such a pro and he really just did even better than we hoped. I mean, everyone did, but James was really, it was really fun to watch him work in there. Anyone here have any reason why they don't feel like they would be a good juror for this case? Uh, yes. Um, I feel like there's a chance that I might be an unwelcome uh, distraction. Why is that, sir? I'm a recognizable public figure. Respectfully, I don't recognize you. I'm sorry, who are you? That's, uh, that's okay, a lot of people do. My most recent movie is this movie, Sonic the Hedgehog, and we were just, this gentleman and I were just chatting about it earlier and yesterday, and he's a big fan, and, and we... You were talking to this gentleman? 
you stand up? Do you know who this fella is? I do, yeah. It took me a little bit to notice him yesterday, but I recognized him, yes. Did you have any serious conversations with anyone else? Could you have backup uh, a backup plan if James said no? <laughs> no, they're, we're really happy he said yes. Um, yeah, it's so interesting because he has to be, as you said, the right that that character has to be the right level of fame. He has to be someone who Ronald would hopefully recognize. Although I was kind of imagining that it would be funny. You could have had a scenario where Ronald didn't recognize him, and that could have created some comedy as well. Yeah, I'm sure you we did have plans that. for that, but yeah. <laughs> and he has to be willing to make fun of himself in that way that he does on the show, which which was he, as you said, he's he's so good at. Um, so yeah, I, I it's now now that we've seen it, it's hard to imagine anyone else fitting all of those pieces together and being the right person for that. Well, and by the way, he also has to be on board with the spirit of the show we're doing. Right. And he also, it also has to be someone who understands, and this was important to James as well as it was important to us, understands we're not trying to make this guy the butt of the joke. You know what I mean? We're not trying to punch down. And, you know, we all kind of held ourselves to that standard because you could see an opportunity for an easy joke every now and then, but it wouldn't have been the right type of joke for what we wanted the show to be. Uh, and James was, you know, an important part of that sounding board process as well every day. Yeah, he's making fun of himself far more than the show is making fun of Ronald. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, once you started production and were in it um, and, you know, started those three weeks, was there a moment when you really felt like you knew it was going to work, that you were going to be able to pull this off? That's tough because there were kind of hurdles to jump, but there were big ones. It's like, let's see if we can get past this. Let's see if we can get past Chance without ruining the show, you know, our chair pants. Let's see. James Marsden was the first big hurdle. Let's see if we can have James walk in, sit next to this guy and strike up a conversation before he thinks, wait a minute, the, what are the chances? You know, I don't know if there was ever a point where we thought it's working for for the whole show now. I, I think there were points where we we're like, well, we're, we're going to get through today. <laughs> but we we were nervous about breaking the show almost every day throughout the filming process. So it really wasn't until the last two days where we were like, well, we're definitely going to get to the reveal where we, (laughs) (laughs) where we get to tell them about this because um, we were, I mean, you know, it was our first time doing this as well. So at any point, Ronald could have said, Hey, hold on. Something about this isn't real. This isn't right. And we just, you know, we could have two weeks of filming left and we would just be done. So we, we were nervous about that every day. I don't think that ever, we ever lost that those nerves. Yeah, there's that great moment where he compares the experience to being on reality TV, which must have uh, raised some eyebrows in the in the control room. Oh, we were panicking. I mean, you know, kind of the, you know, there was the four of us mainly sitting there every day. It was, you know, me, Cody Heller, our showrunner, Nick Hatton, our producer down there, and Andrew Weinberg. And um, we all just kind of froze and looked at each other when we heard that <laughs> and kind of, you know, went to DEFCON 5 and Hit the panic button. Pull back. Pull back. No more jokes. No more character bits. Like boring court. Boom. Then it becomes the great moment in the trailer. So it worked out. Yes. Yes. Um, the other early moment that I felt like must have been really satisfying for you guys is when Ronald really helps push the comedy along by pitching the uh, the Family Guy idea. Can you explain what that was and and how that happened? Yeah. And, and, you know, it was actually something that came out of our writers early on was this idea of, oh, we should see if we can get Ronald to suggest that a way to get out of jury duty is by lying to the judge and saying you're racist. And we had planned a whole level of questions because we thought, well, that's tough to get someone 
to say that when they know they're being filmed or even suggest that as a joke, right? And uh, we had planned out like, okay, here's like 15 questions we could ask to try to get him into this corner where he he would suggest this. If if Noah, Mecky's character, is really begging for any excuse, even if it's a crazy one, even if it doesn't make sense. And we cut it right before we started filming on day one because we thought this is going to feel like too much to really try to force him into this corner to get to this joke we want. But we were sitting there so long and the conversation was going so good. And Mecky, who plays Noah, was in the situation. And Mecky was actually one of our writers too, which was really helpful. He he was in our writer's room, our WGA writer's room, um, the whole time. Uh, and so he really had a good sense of the story. And he knew that that was a beat that was cut. And he felt that there was an opportunity, like, wait a minute, the way this conversation is going, I, we, we might be able to get this, right? And so, yeah, he just threw it out there. Like, what do people say? What's a, what's a thing to say to, that people say to get out of jury duty? And Ronald Offer as well, all I know is what I saw in Family Guy, but I don't think you should do it. You know, Mackie's like, oh, great. What does he say in Family Guy? He's like, well, Peter pretends that he's racist to the judge. So we, you know, it was this bit that we were worried would be pushing way too hard on day one and and, and kind of start sounding the alarm bells in his head. But um, saw the opportunity and he went for it and Ronald just gave it to us right away. So that's what we mean uh, in that episode of how we did it when it's like, man, Ronald was like, it's as if he had read the script. He knew the beats. He was giving us what we needed. <laughs> yeah, it's almost too good to be true. It really was. What do people usually say when they're trying to like get out of this? Like, what's like the move? Like, I'm only going off of saying I've seen on Family Guy, and that's probably not the best thing. Wait, what was it? Was she, Peter pretends to be racist to get out of jury duty? It's pretty smart. I'm interested in that. You know, you talked about how you were working with um, some people who had worked in the Sasha Baron Cohen world. Um, You know, he's someone who I've talked to on this podcast. Some people like, uh, you know, I've talked to people like Eric Andre, these people who do more sort of traditional pranks in some ways. Um, But this is really not a traditional prank show in that it's, you're not trying to embarrass the target, the person who doesn't know that it's fake. So how do you view what you guys did here as different from what someone like Sasha Baron Cohen does well. The thing that I that I think we did differently that initially got me interested in the project what, is this idea of can we put someone who's a regular person who doesn't know they're signing up to be on a TV show, right? Can we give them the traditional hero's journey? So instead of going, you know, we're not looking for a target who deserves to be taken down, right? We're we're not looking for someone who's uh, you know, said some really controversial things and we want to point out hypocrisy. The thing that seemed different was like, well, wait a minute, what if we find someone who can kind of be the moral compass reacting to these crazy characters around him and give him a hero's journey? Someone, if we put him on the path, they will give us that 12 angry men moment at the end of the show where they can they convince people to go the right. It was a risk, but that was the exciting part of the experiment where I said, wow, I haven't really seen that before. And um you know, this is my first foray into this type of thing, right? Something, you know, that can be considered related to a prank show, right? Or a hidden camera show. And I said, oh, well, that I'm interested in. You know, the, the idea of can can we prove that someone will do the right thing uh, and, and not only do the right thing, but convince our wacky characters to do the right thing. That was a really cool idea that I thought was worth exploring, even if we failed. <laughs> Which you didn't. He really did come through in the end, right? He really did. He came in uh, to that deliberation ready to go, ready to tell people how he thought it should go down. And it was just perfect. 
Coming up, Jake talks about how working with Will Ferrell and Adam McKay at Funny or Die helped shape the comedic sensibility of jury duty. And later, what was going through his mind when they finally revealed to Ronald that everything he knew was a lie. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with other comedians who blur the lines between comedy and reality, like Sasha Baron Cohen, Eric Andre, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Jake Szymanski. So, you know, as a director, you you don't come from this world of, of reality prank stuff. You really come from more of the, you know, comedy scripted side. How did your past experience help you do this in some ways? I know you started at Funny or Die. Um, you've done stuff at SNL. Um did you did did you feel like those experiences really played into this at all, or was this so different from anything that you'd done before that you kind of had to throw throw out that those past uh, you know experiences? Um, well, it certainly this show had a brand new element to it, so I felt like I was leaning on elements of a lot of my past experiences and then trying to mix them in this new world. Right, so um, I actually come out of two worlds when I was first getting started and when I was interested in back in film school and stuff. I come out of comedy and I come out of documentary. I also used to work for a lot of documentary filmmakers. So I love documentary and the forms of documentary and I love comedy. And, and that's why some of the favorite things I've done are, um, you know, the mockumentaries I've made with Andy Samberg for HBO, the seven days in hell. And Tour right, Pharmacy. Yeah. so I really like that form. And, and that's what got me excited about doing this show. And, you know, it's a comedy that we're doing with some hard jokes and that I was used to, but then mixing that with, you know, I, I really wanted to put this in kind of a verite documentary form uh, that felt very real because it is around Ronald and around what he's going to do. And so the idea of mixing those things was very exciting. And my other, the, my other background experience is when I got started at Funny or Die, you know, it was working for Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. And I also got to be on set and kind of shadow those guys as they were making Step Brothers and the other guys. And I always That's kind amazing. of refer to that. 
Yeah, I always kind of refer to that as my second film school. And I really got to see how they work with improv, like with something scripted and use improv in a useful way where it can then be in the edit and not be afraid of it and shoot it in a way where you can use it. And so that's kind of in my DNA, too, of how I approach making things. And so that was obviously a big part of this as well, of how to have this, have something scripted, have a plan, but embrace improv as a way to also... Um, explore new avenues and get where you need to go in unexpected ways. So it was a little bit of everything that I've worked on um, mixed together uh, in this kind of new world. From the outside, it seems like that Margaritaville episode must have been among the hardest episodes to pull off. Absolutely. Um, It's also, I think, a real high point comedically of the season. What went into pulling that specific episode off where you are leaving your contained environment of this uh of this courthouse that you were in and and going out into the real world sort of but I know it was not entirely real <laughs> our our real created world um well one of the toughest things about episode 4 with Margaritaville is it's all filmed in one day because we ha- we were trying to give Ronald stakes of we're trying to make it here tonight, you know, in time for a dinner reservation. That's important for group bonding. And we couldn't fake that by filming. Over. Most of the episodes are actually filmed over two or three days, right? And then condensed down into an episode. This was the one episode that had to play out in real time. Start in the courthouse, move to a field trip to see the scene <laughs> of the crime, and then try to make it to Margaritaville that is for a, lot a group for dinner one day. at night. It's a lot for one day. And we had to have an episode's worth of material as well. So I'd say the most rehearsing and planning went into that day. And in fact, we had done a lot of rehearsing before Ronald show up with the cast for everything we planned on doing. But we were so nervous about that Margaritaville day that the day before we were supposed to film it, we actually pretended that there was a uh, a COVID lockdown, that someone had, you know, what ended up being a false positive, but we didn't know that yet. So court was canceled for the day and everyone had to stay in their <laughs> hotel rooms. No one could hang out. Because we didn't want COVID to spread, right? The court was shutting us down for a day. And what we really did was sneak everyone out of their hotel rooms, uh, (laughs) except for Ronald, and drive down and do a full dry run of what would become the next day of going to the factory, going to Margaritaville. Because it's not only for our cast, but it's for our crew, right? Knowing how the cameras were going to move, how much we needed to delay the bus between the factory and Margaritaville so our cameras could beat them there and get in these little bamboo Margaritaville themed camera hides that we had built uh, to be ready for it. So there was a lot going on that day. And yes, we had to get really creative on how to get enough time to have it planned so that it didn't fall apart. And then were there still things I imagine that were unexpected when you, you know, then were doing it for real, even though you'd done that dry run? Yeah, of course. I mean, Margaritaville was a, was a big, um, just the walk through Universal City Walk to get in the door to Margaritaville. It sounds simple. It's a two minute walk, but it's the most in the real world that anyone was. So like things like that, you get really nervous about and you yeah, get nervous about you're not controlled. Yes. And who they're going to bump into and see. I mean, one of the things we knew would be tricky was in the factory, Ronald needed to go upstairs to kind of discover some evidence. But we also knew that Ronald was a rule follower. And so we knew it was going to be an issue, but you know, he did not go initially when uh, he was standing there with Lonnie and Lonnie said, let's go up. Right. He said, no. So we had kind of planned backup plans and I was talking to people in their ear and I had to get some other jurors that he trusted and respected as, as also rule followers to go up before him. So I did, we had to make it so he saw some people go up there to know it was okay to go up there and come back down. 
in order to convince him that he would go up there. Like it's a small moment in the show, but it actually was like very stressful and took a lot of planning. And we really worried that was going to fall apart. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned sort of as you get closer to the finale, that the pressure mounts in some ways because you really are feeling like now we can pull this off. Um, what did it feel like for you watching that moment where it you finally do reveal what's happening and 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 comes from the judge and, and all of that? Because it is so intense watching it as a viewer, and I can't even imagine what it was like for you as the director. It was nerve wracking. It was very intense, and uh, especially so because we all just cared so much about Ronald at that point. We we knew, you know, it was always in the plan to be really thoughtful and careful about how we were going to reveal this. But it didn't mean we knew how it was going to go. And we were all very nervous about, are we doing this the right way? Is there a better way to do it? I think we were rewriting that judge's speech kind of every night leading up to that reveal uh, for the last week of shooting. And yeah, I mean, everyone had tears in their eyes and lumps in their throats as it was happening. And we just really wanted to kind of pull the curtain back and reveal what was happening and then also surround Ronald with a bunch of love as fast as we could to to let him know that that everyone really cared about him. How did you think he was going to react to that moment um, and how did it compare to, to what actually happened? You know, we were prepared for a lot of things and I think we expected maybe a bigger reaction. But what we forgot is that when you're three weeks in to creating a Truman Show-esque world around someone, it's really hard to tell them that it was constructed and everyone's an actor and have them understand that, yeah. which in hindsight makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've talked it seems to like he might be in shock, yeah. Yeah, so I actually think we were preparing for a bigger reaction from him. Uh, is he going to be upset? Is he going to be happy? Is he, is he going to get up out of his chair and move around? Let's have the cameras ready. But I think it, he was really kind of had to sit there and process it to even understand what we said, because that's a big thing to tell someone. You're going, wait a minute. I want you to think about the last two and a half weeks of your life and realize that everything has been planned and all those people were actors and, and were in on this thing surrounding you. Uh, that's really hard to understand. You have to think a lot about what happened in the last two, three weeks uh, to you. So there was a lot of processing that seems obvious now, but that we maybe didn't fully comprehend what, what, what was going to be needed there. Now, as I said weeks ago, when you first entered this courtroom, that this was the last trial of my career. What I didn't tell you is it's also the first uh, because I'm not a real judge. And you're not a real four person. This is not a real case. What? Each of your fellow jurors, as well as the defendant, the plaintiff, Bailiff Nikki, myself, we're all actors. <laughs> Everything you saw was carefully planned. What I'm saying is, it was all fake, except for one important element, you. What have those conversations with Ronald been like, you know, since then and in terms of how he felt and, and what he thought about the whole thing? I mean, it's been great. I mean, for me personally, um, I didn't meet Ronald until after the reveal. That's so wild, yeah. it was it was a bizarre experience for me and Ronald because I felt like I really knew him and I had been watching him kind of, you know, 20 hours a day for the last three weeks. I had seen all these interviews he had given beforehand. 
I had been thinking about him and planning stuff around him. And I came out and introduced myself and I did all the exit interviews. So um, once the show is revealed to Ronald, there's a sit down interview with him. I was in the room with him for that, talking to him. But I had to realize I had a level of comfort with him that I needed to pull back because it was his for he didn't. I knew him really well, I felt like, but he didn't know me. So personally, the best thing for me has been Ronald and I have gotten a chance to hang out and talk a lot since then and actually get to know each other and understand that we that we went through uh, part of that together, part of that experience together, even though I wasn't there with him. So it, it's been fun kind of, you know, going from the feeling of knowing him really well to actually getting to know him uh, much better. Well, he seems to be enjoying the uh, the post show glow and fame that that's come his way. Good for him, yeah. Do you? Uh, I I do wonder, you know, where that's going to lead for him if he's going to, you know, try to try to stay in show business or not. I I wonder too, but you know, I think Ronald has a really good head on his shoulders. I think that's why we picked him for the show, uh, and I think uh, I think he's someone who makes good decisions. So I, I think whatever he feels is the right thing to do, he'll be okay. I, I'm happy to see him out there. While while people are loving him, uh, you know, uh, having a little fun there, and and we'll see what he does long term. What did you feel like you wanted the emotional takeaway for viewers to be to this show, which is so funny throughout, but it does it it gets kind of deep by the end in terms of what this means for Ronald and 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 how you you know how something like this could happen. Um, were you satisfied with, with sort of how it all came together, and what did you want viewers to take away from it? Um, well, yeah, first of all, I am very proud of the fact that people are enjoying it and people are enjoying the comedy in it. Like, I'm I'm happy that we get some hard comedy in there, some big jokes, and that it's a show that you can watch and actually laugh out loud. Very proud of that coming from comedy, obviously. I'm, I'm always trying to get that in a show. But um, I think the bigger thing is I did not know if people would like this show or respond to it in a way. Um because we were trying to show someone nice doing the right thing. And um, I didn't know if it would be too soft. I didn't know if that would sacrifice the comedy. I didn't know if that's what people wanted to see. And it's been really nice to see uh, people respond to it in a positive way and say, um, it was really nice watching this because, again, part of what attracted to me this early to this project early on and what's nice to see out there is I think Ronald, part of the reason we chose him for this is I think he just displays a lot of um, decency to people. Uh, and I think he um, gives people the benefit of the doubt. And I think it's nice to see that example and see that people like that and respond to that. And it's a good reminder to try to, as you're going through life, give people the benefit of the doubt, show some decency. And if everyone did that more and more, there'd probably be a little less divisiveness going on. And I, and I hope that's part of why people respond to it, uh, because I, I certainly... I'm happy that that's in the show. How do you follow something like this? Because it's so unique. It's so different from what you'd done before, what anyone had done before. I wonder if, you know, going back to doing scripted comedy, um, like, you know, you've, you've done movies and, and things like that would feel almost too easy, too simple now. Or, or how do you think about what you will no, want to do it's next? Never, it's never, it's never <laughs> simple. It's all hard. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I'm for better or for worse. I'm kind of attracted to big crazy ideas or things that seem impossible i go like all right well let's see if we can figure this out so um i don't know i've had a lot of fun in my career so far and i've always kind of worked on on things that i like with people that i like and um uh, we'll see what the next version of that is 
So what I want to do now is our segment called The First Laugh. So we're going to run through some some firsts in your uh, life and career around comedy, um, starting okay. with the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid that you can remember uh, growing up. The first, um, I remember uh, the first big comedy movie I saw in theaters was uh, Spaceballs uh, early on. And uh, I did not understand a lot of the jokes in it, but I repeated the jokes nonstop uh, uh, at, at five years old to a lot of people in my class and had to be told to stop. So that might, that might be my first one. That made me now, I wonder if you're like me, I saw Spaceballs before I saw Star Wars, which is a, a unique experience in some ways. Is that, is that, was that the same for you? Yes, I think it was actually. <laughs> yes. Which I, I don't know, maybe that like creates a comedy brain or something like if you, if you see Spaceballs <laughs> first, because yeah, you, I, I did not know uh, many of the references I feel like, but I still thought it was really funny. Yes. I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Um, do you remember the first time that you knew that you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? I don't know if I remember the first time, but I do know I always enjoyed that. Certainly, um, uh, my mom has a great laugh, uh, and, uh, brings a lot of fun, uh, into the household growing up. And, uh, I think it was making her laugh and making the family laugh. Just, we, we, there was always a lot of laughter in our house. And so, uh, it's something way back deep in there. What do you remember about that very first Funny or Die video that you directed? Because I know you came on with them very early um, and became a big part of what that that site became. But what was that very first experience like? Well, there's kind of two firsts with Funny or Die. The first thing I made, I, I technically was not an employee and I made something that I uploaded on day one of Funny or Die before they had employees because they did not know that the site would blow up. And so there's a video I made called Friday Night Nights. And that's the video that uh, McKay and Farrell and Chris Henchy saw that said, hey, maybe this guy can come come in and help us make more videos. Um, so that that was a fun one and has a special memory to me. And I shot that back in Wisconsin, actually, where I'm from. Was that a and, Friday Night um, Lights parody or what was that one? Yeah, it was a Friday Night Lights uh, parody. And I had never seen that show. <laughs> <laughs> but but they were showing a lot of ads for it. I think it was just coming out, and so uh, we were kind of making fun of the how how drama filled a lot of those previews looked. Um, and so, but that was just a classic case of you know hanging out with your buddies and just okay, let's grab the camera and go make the thing. And it's a good reminder to uh, just go just go keep trying, keep making stuff. You know, so that's that's a good. I, I think about that a lot. And then there was the first video once I was hired at Funny or Die. I made which then kind of felt very real, which was just, you know, hey, uh, you know, Jenna Elfman wants to make a video, like go write a script for Jenna Elfman. Here's the idea. And now let's go shoot it. And it was just kind of thrown into the fire. And you're like, whoa, okay. I know this person uh, from TV and uh, <laughs> I'm going to write something for them. And uh, do you guys like it? Okay, here we go. And it was just all moving very fast. What about at SNL? What was the first thing that you made that actually got on uh on screen on SNL? You know, I did a lot of work with Andy uh, on the digital shorts, but I think my first week there was actually the first thing I made was like, I think uh, Miley Cyrus was hosting and it was not a digital short. It was like a pre-tape bit. Did John Mulaney write it? It was something about um, the Disney kids growing up and it was like Miley and Keenan. And I think that was like my first week there given a kind of easy talk to camera assignment uh to, to then I, and i got on air that night i think that was my first thing you were hired as a as a director specifically there or how did because that was like was that a unique uh situation that they bring in um 
you know, directors for pre-taped bits that are from the outside? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I was actually, the, the way I got into SNL was I was filming a commercial with uh, Bill Hader. Okay. And Bill Hader had brought along John Mulaney from the show to write on the commercial. So all of a sudden it kind of became me, Bill, and John making a bunch of Volkswagen uh, internet ads and trying to make them really funny. And I remember because of Bill's SNL schedule, we shot for a couple of days, had a week off, and then shot for a couple more days for the commercials. And in that week off, I'd kind of edited what we worked on the first time. And they all saw it and went, oh, you, uh, you edited these for comedy. We were expecting them to be like worse commercials. And I was <laughs> like, oh, no, yeah, you know, I'm a comedy guy. And uh, they were like, oh, great. And we had a lot of fun. And then I remember at the end of that, um, John saying, hey, you know, we're looking for kind of a, a temporary director. We're losing our director. Uh, is that something you'd be interested in coming in and being like a guest director for a couple weeks? And I <laughs> said, like, yeah, uh, I, would, <laughs> I would love that. Uh, and then uh, I got the call and uh, I thought I was going to go for a couple weeks. And they're like, we don't have a guest director slot. I don't know why they told you that. It's just like a job. Do you want it? <laughs> uh, but I had known Andy a little bit. And um, Akiba and Yorm from the Lonely Island were no longer on staff there like every week. So he basically needed a new director. And so that's, that's, that was my job going in, which was great because, um, I feel like a lot of the writers there, um, have feel a lot of pressure about getting stuff on every week and their jobs at stake. And I came in and I got to write and write with Andy and write on other stuff. But my job was a director to direct a pre-tape piece every week. And, and so I I didn't feel as much of that pressure because I kind of always had something to shoot, but I still got to, uh, be, be down in the trenches with everyone. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. That seems ideal. Yeah. I'm sure between Funny or Die and SNL and everything else, you have met a lot of uh, of your comedy heroes over the years. You have a story about meet the first time you met one of your comedy heroes, someone you just really looked up to in the comedy world, and what it was like to meet them for the first time. Oh, I'm really lucky. I have a lot of them. Um, I mean, getting my start at uh, Funny or Die and working for uh, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell is is kind of hard to beat those are kind of my 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 mom and dad in comedy now and um i will say after you know being in la and working as a pa on various shows and stuff and seeing various levels of people in power uh and how they treat people i will say the best thing about uh adam and will is how kind they were and generous they were and it was a good reminder of oh you don't have to be a jerk to be on top because they were kind of at the top of their game and they were great to hang out with and super nice. And it was lovely. And it's kind of who I am as a person too. So it was a good, good reminder that you don't have to change. You can keep that going and have a no jerk on set policy and, uh, and do it that way. Uh, the other fun thing was, you know, Adam McKay, who was a writer and head writer of SNL for a long time. I didn't, you don't really know. I didn't know growing up who wrote what sketches, and then when I started working for him at Funny or Die, as we got to know each other, oh, yeah, you were at SNL at this time. Oh, God, remember when this person hosted? Or, oh, my favorite sketch was this. <laughs> and I would ask him about certain sketches that I was like, oh, I remember. I always loved this one. I always quoted this one. And almost all of them he wrote. And so it was this surreal experience of realizing that I was suddenly working for the guy that had formed a you know, half of my sense of humor without knowing uh, that he was the guy who had formed it. That was, that was a yeah, fun one. That's great. Finally, is there a story yeah. or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Oh yeah. I mean, I can't share one of them. They're pretty embarrassing. 
that I laugh about. Now I got a couple of you could you could share it. I mean, come on. Um, no, I really can't. I I got a couple. I luck. I'll save that for the next time on the pod, bro. We gotta get to know (laughs) each other better. Um, what what what's the question? Something that wasn't funny when it happened, but I laugh about now. Uh, no, man, I'm pretty chill. I laugh about it in the moment too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Never. uh, No stress Uh, ever. Well, I will say, coming from sketch um, comedy as well, um, there's a lot of very silly things that you, when you're under the gun and under a deadline, have to treat very seriously and get very stressed out about. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, why did I ruin my day? And we were freaking out because, you know, we had the wrong, you know, rubber dildo on set for something. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we doing for, for work? This is great. We shouldn't be mad about anything. So there, there's a lot of things like that. But no specific, really embarrassing stories that you want to share right now? Oh, I got embarrassing stories. Um, I think, um, you know, at one of the SNL after parties, um, I had probably had a couple too many drinks. And um, I'd worked with a lot of celebrities at that point. So I don't really, you know, fanboy out or freak them out in a way. Uh, you know, I, I was pretty good about that. But um, I think I embarrassed myself uh, in front of Paul Thomas Anderson and, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman one night just Oof, uh, going on a tough. little too long about how much how much their work meant to me. And then I realized uh, that I was pretty inebriated. I was like, I have to run. I'm embarrassing myself. I have to run out of here. That's great. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. And as I said, I think Jury Duty is is so funny and so unique and so great. And um, I'm just so glad that, that you guys made it and pulled it off. I really appreciate it, man. I'm so happy people are watching it and talking about it. And thanks for having me on. Thank you so much to Jake Szymanski for joining me on this episode. All eight episodes of Jury Duty are available to stream now for free on Amazon Freebie. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.